passage today is Hebrews 4, verses 14 through 16. Since then, we have a great high priest who passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who is in, who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to Christ. When the writer of Hebrews says, since, this is one of the many ways that the New Testament expects us to be singularly forever changed by our encounter with Jesus. For us, that's knowledge and experience and emotions. We didn't get to meet him when he was in his earthly life. But this is a sermonic explanation of how our lives are, not ought to be, are forever changed through a knowledge and a response to who Jesus is. Since if this is true, then everything is different. C.S. Lewis has this lovely analogy of how um, a knowledge and experience of Jesus is like the sun. Not only empowering our entire solar system, but by its light, we understand our world and how to interact with it. He is our high priest. The writer says it directly and then he says it indirectly with uh, a double negative. Knowledge that he is our high priest reminds us that we need high priest. We need Jesus' advocacy. We need his intercessing for us. And I wonder if we approach him that way. I wonder if we open the Bible wondering if it has some good advice for us. Or if it is indeed the only way to be fully alive. The only way to, to... The only explanation of true salvation, which is both daily provision of the gospel and a forever confidence and security that we receive from him. And then the expectation, not only that that since we have this high priest, everything is different, but also I think the accompanying expectation is that we're humbled by that and our defensiveness perhaps some of our criticism just doesn't affect us the way that it did prior to our knowledge of Jesus in our life one of the the first great preacher I ever heard just regularly said to the extent that we're gripped by Jesus when someone calls us out when someone notices sin in us we respond, you don't know the half of it. I'm so much worse than you realize. And I'm sorry and forgive me and 
our defensiveness just melts away because we have this high priest. Which means we have heaven. Which means we have the comfort of the Holy Spirit. The writer's expecting us, expecting a lot of us as readers and hearers of the word to remember all of these promises. So he'd probably spoken with several people who saw Jesus ascend into heaven. Knows that Jesus is there. And then there are all these accompanying promises. It means we have union with Christ, which is a little more of a Pauline statement. But the writer of Hebrews, I think, was familiar with Paul and is expecting us to remember this when he says, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. Meaning, if we've seen him, if, we have, if knowledge has been given to us by the Holy Spirit of who Jesus is, then everything is different. Holding fast to confession means living like a follower of Christ because we're so thankful for what he did on our behalf. Simone Weil, the French mystic, said there are two things that pierce the soul, beauty and affliction. I have a picture of this, but I did not get it digitized in time because I took it when I was 15. I was in Switzerland and there's a monument to the Swiss soldiers who died defending Louis XVI. Have you seen this monument? It's incredible. It's of a lion with its paw on a broken shield carved into a mountain with this beautiful lake in front of it. I'm 15. I was so obnoxious as a 15 year old. I'm not saying I'm not obnoxious now. I'm just saying I was more obnoxious then. And I was stunned by the beauty of that monument. Negative things stick with us also, right? 2009, I was treated for cancer. I received bleomycin, etoposide, and cisplatinum, which are very aggressive chemotherapy drugs. And now if I hear the word, I have a visceral reaction. I just did, even though I'm the one who said it. I have a visceral reaction to the word because it's that terrible. I follow a site on Instagram, and they call people that have not uh, had cancer, cancer muggles. I love that. Which is not important, important necessarily to the point I'm making, which is Simone Weil's point. that beauty and affliction are the things that pierce our soul. And the examples that I'm giving you are examples that I think changed me forever. Both beauty and affliction. The beauty of Jesus is exponentially more powerful than those moments we've had where we're forever changed either by beauty or affliction. Since we have Jesus who is sympathetic to our weaknesses, and you see this all through the scriptures. Again, I was very obnoxious as a kid, so I'm not at all sure that my Sunday school teachers taught it this way. What I gathered oftentimes from Sunday school was that the disciples were kind of boneheads. And that's not true. They had trouble grasping the teachings of Jesus because they're that incredible. They had trouble following what he's understanding because they didn't yet understand what we now call the Old Testament because they hadn't re-studied it as they needed to for years after Jesus came back in light of who Jesus was. It doesn't mean they didn't make mistakes, but when we approach the scriptures and assume or think that they're boneheads, we miss this character trait of Jesus that's so important for us to understand as best we're able who he is. 
When they respond poorly to the storm, we notice that Jesus is sympathetic to their weaknesses. After he'd already fed a large crowd, right before he's about to feed a second large crowd, and the disciples get a little panicky, and yet, yeah, they should have been like, hey, Jesus, we remember you fed this crowd. What do you want us to do? That probably would have gone better. But what do we get to see? He's sympathetic to their weaknesses. All through John 11, which is this incredible story Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead and Mary and Martha are so kind and reverent towards him and you see him sympathizing with their limitations to understand what was happening in the moment. I think the bigger contrast is the bigger contrast is Jesus and us. I don't know. I don't know your story. Some of you I know better than others. I don't think we are sympathetic to our own weaknesses. When I make a mistake, whether it's in traffic or I spill something or whatever, what happens? Call myself a name, out loud or in my head. Because we think that's motiv- that would motivate, right? Maybe if I can beat myself up enough, I'll stop spilling things or making mistakes in traffic and ticking other people off. Jesus motivates through care and love and through having experienced the entire human experience. You don't need a drill sergeant. You need a high priest who can and will stand before God on your behalf because he loves you. And you can trust it because he experienced what you have experienced. And this is a very significant part of how we engage our doubts. The point of the Christian life is not at all to not have doubts, but to address them. And in talking with people, um, this is a text that people doubt because of their specific life experiences that Jesus didn't have. But at the root of every challenging experience that you've gone through, adverse, challenging, whatever, He experienced the root of it. Have you been betrayed by your body? Meaning sickness? Jesus got really tired. We only know about 53 days of his earthly ministry, and how often is he napping? A lot. Jesus was betrayed by his friends. And it broke his heart. Jesus was betrayed by his family. Have you read Mark chapter 3? Twice they try and talk him out of preaching. His family. Jesus experienced a great deal of grief over how some of the Jewish people that he preached and ministered to responded to him. Meaning, in a human sense, he felt betrayed in some respect, by his religion. You see that towards the end of his earthly life as he laments painfully. And we don't know the percentages of people and how they responded to him. We know that it caught like wildfire soon after his ascension. Jesus suffered unspeakable and undeserved pain, physical and emotional. And to the extent that we are able to integrate that, our trust in Him increases. 
Since we have Jesus who is sympathetic to our weaknesses and he avoided temptation. I don't know how you think about temptation. I think the word isn't very popular anymore. And so we sort of think like I'm tempted to slug this guy in the grocery store that cuts in front of me in line and I'm not going to. And I I did it. I don't know. I think I think we think of temptation as obvious and big. And yet most of Jesus's temptations, other than the ones by Satan, beginning of his ministry, are pretty subtle. But actually, even Satan's temptations, though they would have been grand, were pretty subtle at heart. Jesus was also tempted by his friends and by the religious leaders. And the reason I'm I'm referencing all of them is I tried to find a thread for us to consider. Most of the temptations are accepting what was convenient and dropping mission. And I know that sounds vague. What it looks like for us is when we're too tired and we don't love well, we don't listen well, we're defensive, we respond poorly. It happens at work. It happens at home. It may or may not happen in traffic. I don't care as much about that. And I'm implying something, and it's that you know something about your mission in the world as a follower of Christ. If you're not a follower of Christ and you're considering His offer of life, he not only calls you to himself, forgives you of your sin, he calls you into mission. It has to do with your work in the world, it has to do with the people he has asked you to love. And the temptation regularly before us is to choose convenience over love or convenience over mission. When Jesus avoided especially the temptations of Satan, he regularly quoted Deuteronomy, and it's because he is correcting Adam's mistake, and then he is fulfilling the role of Israel. And that's how we know that we can trust him, because this is an integrated book that he came to fulfill the covenants of. Since we have Jesus who is sympathetic to weaknesses and avoided sin, or avoided temptation and sin, we can trust him to atone for us. Because if he had not avoided sin, his atonement would not have fulfilled the requirement of the law. And we trust him because he experienced life as a human. We draw near. That's the opportunity. Verse 16, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And I think 10 years ago, I would have talked with you about this scripture in light of your prayer time. And it includes prayer, but I think this is an assumption that your entire life is different because of who Jesus is and the Holy Spirit's pursuit of you and calling into your life. I think it has to do with how you spend money. I think it has to do with how you treat people. I think it has to do with what you do with your time. I think it has to do with how you approach your vocation as a Christian. I think that's drawing near to the throne. That's us with confidence drawing near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Because it's a throne. And kings sit on thrones, not advisors, not religious gurus, but kings. Do we approach Jesus as though he's king?
It includes prayer, both the quiet kind and the lively and the ugly kinds, but also includes, includes how we do all of life. Since we have Jesus who is sympathetic to our weaknesses and devoided temptation, we draw near and receive grace, mercy, help, and the real life that the gospel promises. Would you pray with me? Jesus, I praise you that you are our high priest. That you are now in heaven. Holy Spirit, strengthen us to hold fast our confession of you as Lord. We praise you that you sympathize with us and then guide us away from temptation into life. We are so thankful that we can with confidence draw near to your throne in worship, in obedience, and therein find life. Amen.